Welcome if you're online. We're glad that you're here. Glad to see all of you in the room. Um, we just got back from Cambodia, as you know, and uh, some, of you, some of you were actually praying that we'd get back tomorrow because the update needed to be updated, and so we're here now. So your prayers were already answered early. Hallelujah for that, huh? Um, I actually want to um, just kind of get us into the flow of the text, and then we're going to pray together. Um, this week and next week is, is an interruption, if you will, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, he's, he's making his argument, the author's making his argument, continuing the idea that Jesus is just better. He's better than everyone and everything. And he's been talking about he's the greatest, the great high priest. And uh, he introduced the idea that Jesus is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then he interrupts it. And he'll go back to that in, uh, in three weeks. Um, so today and next week is the interruption. And the interruption is because he's concerned that the people aren't actually ready to hear what he's talking about, and he wants to address their hearts first before he goes back to this more, um, if you will, profound teaching about Jesus. It's like, let's take a profound look at ourselves because you've gotta be ready for this, and, and you aren't. It's, it's one of the four warning passages in Hebrews, and Hebrews has these very intense um, warning uh, passages, they're like, if you will, the, the flashing light on your, or the, the, the check engine light on your dashboard, right, which we're so good at ignoring. Yeah, check engine, maybe, someday. Um, probably means my catalytic converter, or I'm not getting the right oxygen, or I don't care. Right. Uh, but if ever you see that light flashing, and you've, and you've never read your manual, pull over. Just pull over, because you read the manual and basically it says, pull over now or your car is going to explode. Maybe not quite that dramatic, but this is serious. This is serious, it's a flashing light moment, and you can't keep going, you can't ignore it. And the passages in Hebrews are those flashing light warnings, saying, whoa, stop, pull over, we need to look at this, we need to take it very seriously. And the tendency, especially with today's passage, my experience is we tend to try to minimize it because it makes us really uncomfortable. It's really, really hard. And so we try to try to minimize it. In fact, uh, having a conversation some time ago with a friend who's done a fair amount of air travel and we were swapping air stories and said, you know, what was kind of one of the most uh, concerning flights you were ever on? And he said he was sitting up close to the uh, pilot's cab and the door was still open and they were doing their pre-flight check and the co-pilot said to the pilot, I can't get this warning light to go off. And the pilot said, unplug it. And then they closed the door and took off. Ah... <laughs> uh, so, you're going to be tempted to want to unplug the warning light, and I'm just telling you, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, it's really important that we let this passage speak to us full intensity, because it's really given in love, even though at times it may feel kind of heavy. The author is very concerned about the people he's writing to. God's very concerned about us, and these heavy things, sometimes we need to let them hit us so that God can do something really significant. So I'd like to pray, and I'd like to ask you to pray with me. Um, it is always true that whenever anything good happens on a Sunday morning during a message, that's going to be a God thing, and that's especially true this morning. I am jet-lagged. I picked up a bit of a cold, and this is one of the two or three hardest passages in all of the Bible. So I could use some help, and you probably want me to have that too. So would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we are we're grateful to come to you. We're grateful that um, you have pursued us. You love us. You've given us your son. You've given us your word. You've given us your spirit. And in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you work in our hearts? Would you grow us deeper in our Christ-likeness? Would you grow us deeper in our worship? Would you transform us? And um, Lord, if you need to say hard things to us, we, we invite that. We're not excited about that, but we invite that because we want to experience what you have for us. Would you make your word powerful and clear in our lives today? Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, these next two weeks, we're gonna be spending the end of chapter five and all of chapter six. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to uh, Hebrews chapter five. And um, this morning, we're gonna get really two um, exhortations, two um, ideas, two principles, call them whatever you want. There's two key things that he's concerned about, um, that he's warning them about, that we need to take to heart as well and say, all right, Lord, um, does this reflect me and where I am in my heart? 
And if so, what do you want to do with that? And it boils down to two simple phrases. He's, he's warning them. He's saying, grow up and watch out. That's it. Grow up and watch out. Grow up in Christ. You should be these things and you're not. And that's a real problem. So you need to grow up in Christ. You need to grow up in your faith. Grow up. And then watch out. There's, a, there's an extreme danger. It's called apostasy. And if you fall into that, it's absolutely devastating. So watch out for that. Right now, that's embedded in this bigger context. In fact, we're only getting part of the uh, passage. Uh, it, it, it flips tone in verse 9 because it, early on it's just all this warning stuff. Um, and then in verse 9 he says, Now, I actually don't think that this is true of you yet. Right? I think that you actually are followers of Jesus. I think that God's going to honor these great things that you've done, um, but I'm just concerned that you don't wind up where you could wind up because there's some problems. And the problems themselves are centered in uh, the beginning of the passage in chapter five that we're gonna look at. It talks about being sluggish or slow to hear or um, dull or thick, right? And um, it's literally sluggish. And then as uh, verse 12 of chapter six wraps up, it talks about don't be sluggish. You don't have to be sluggish. Here's what you can be instead. So there's a, there's a package. We're gonna take the first part of that this week. We'll take the second part and um, then the next section next week. This week, it's all about the warning, the caution, grow up in Jesus and watch out for apostasy. If you wanna follow along, start in verse 11. It says, uh, about this, which is the Melchizedek idea, Jesus is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing or sluggish. Um, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment, And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So on that bright note, let's dive in. Um, Grow up in Jesus. That's the whole first section. I wanted to talk to you about some things. In fact, I'm gonna go back to talking to you about those things because I have to, but I just wanna stop and say, this is hard because you should be further than you are. Uh, There's things that haven't happened that should happen, and and, in calling you out on this, my hope is that they'll happen now. You need to grow up in Jesus. Um, you, You should be teachers and you're not. Right? You should have your discernment refined from long practice, and you don't. Um, you should be on solid food, and you're not. You can't handle that. And then subtly, and I'll show you where it is, you, you really should be cooperating effectively with the Spirit, and not so much. Right, I'm, I'm glad to be preaching this um, passage, actually, coming back from Cambodia, because I think... 
One of the things that I love about mission trips is that it really ties in with this passage. There's the more obvious things about what we did, and, and I've sent some reports, but if you haven't heard, it was a wonderful trip. Thank you for your kindness and your generosity, for your prayers, for supporting us. We managed to put in, we didn't personally, but as a church we raised the money for, and we're behind 51 wells being put in. We were originally gonna do 53, and then a couple had to be adjusted. They were more complicated, made a little bit bigger, so they just collapsed two into each other, so now we have 51, which is perfect. Um, it was pretty surreal walking up and seeing some of these wells, especially because we're walking through these rural areas and uh, across rice fields. And if you've never been to Southeast Asia or places where they grow a lot of rice, the rice paddies themselves are that far below the path. Right? You've got these ribbons of path that sit up two, three feet above the rice paddy. And at this time of the year, it's already been harvested, it's already been burned off, and it's just lying fallow. So we're just walking through all these fields on these ridges, but then every once in a while, one of those areas that should be a field is dug out, and that's a pond. And that's where they store water um, for all kinds of uses, and people were drinking out of that pond. People were doing their laundry in that pond. They were bathing in that pond. The animals were using that pond. That's what they were experiencing, and then we put in these wells, and that changed everything. That was a real blessing to be a part of that, and I want to say thank you for your faithfulness because it makes a huge difference in the lives of all kinds of people. And in fact, our partners, the, 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 the church leaders there, um, were very intentional on what they did. They put these uh, wells into the homes or yards of poor people, not wealthy people, which is what you would normally do in the culture. It's like, no, we're going to make sure it's access to the poor. Um, many of them, there were nine villages that had no Christians in it as far as anyone knew before we showed up and Wells went in there to help with church planting, help with the gospel. There were others where there were some believers but there were no churches. There were others where there were churches. It was just a variety of things and it was all designed to meet a physical need that's critical and in that process opened the door for sharing Christ. And that was, that was wonderful. Thank you for helping us do that. Um, the week itself, or it was a little more than a week, um, seems like we were in the airplane more than a week, but uh, anyway, we were, we were on the ground for um, eight or nine days of ministry, and the initial day it was a Sunday, and uh, everybody on the team, all nine people, got to speak in a church, or had to speak in a church, depending on what perspective you have, uh, sharing a testimony, a message, an exhortation, and that was, that was really great, because it stretched people. It was hard. Not everyone does what I do, and that feels a little intimidating, and then you're doing it through a translator, and it's, it's just tough, and it, and it was a moment that God met everyone. That was really cool. We also went out and dedicated a well that first day, um, because where the wells are, then we gather, and people gather, and we, uh, we bless them, and we pray with them, and we share the gospel, and people accepted Christ. They made professions of faith. That was really cool. Then on Monday, um, we all went out into the field to uh, dedicate more wells while the pastors from all over the country were coming to where we were. We were in a rural area-ish, rural-ish area of Kampot province, which sits on the Indian Ocean, the far southern part of Cambodia. And uh, as they were coming, we would go out and share the gospel these different places, and all nine members of the team got to share the gospel numerous times, and everybody got to see people make professions of faith, and we didn't keep an accurate count, because it's not about the, the number. But we did try to be concrete and get a real sense, and we know there were more than 100 people who made professions of faith over the week as we were sharing at these different wells. It was a wonderful opportunity. Then by Tuesday, the pastors had gathered, and I, I split off from the team, and I taught um, all day, long teaching, um, for the whole week. These pastors that came from all over the place, from all 25 provinces, and uh, they would go back then to their provinces and teach others who would teach others who would teach others. There's about 1,500 churches we're connecting with, and it'll get to all 1,500 churches, maybe 100,000 believers will get to all of them. So it was a huge opportunity. And then on Saturday, kind of culminated in this big um, tent meeting, and more than 1,000 people came. And uh, there were all the local political speeches because some cool stuff happened and every local politician wants to make sure that their face is seen because these walls are in place and it's great and it's a good opportunity. And so it created a great vibe. Everyone's excited. It's a big celebration. And I had the opportunity with our partner, Paul Nuth, uh, to preach the gospel and he translated. And um, there were more than 50 people that responded there. It was just a lot of fruitfulness 
um, with the things that you would expect and hope for and pray for. And we're super grateful to God for that and grateful to you for your partnership in that. Team worked well, things went smoothly. Um, we didn't have to eat too many things that were outside of the comfort zone unless you wanted to. A couple of team members did eat tarantula. That was their choice. Um, I managed to eat mostly white rice all week um, because I don't like goat stew, fried frog, turtle soup, duck soup, and stuff that I can't identify. And uh, so, it, you know, obviously different palates, different parts of the parts of the world, but super hospitality they had. They loved us really well and took really good care of us, and so we're grateful for that opportunity. What is not necessarily as obvious in a trip like this is where it kind of touches down in our passage this morning. I um, regularly, as I lead teams, tell the team my real deepest hope and joy is more about us as a team. Um, What happens in us what happens through us, how we grow, what God does to stretch and change us, the transformation that takes place. We have people who are teaching who don't normally teach, who are sharing the gospel and now have a way of sharing the gospel that they've developed that they're pretty comfortable with saying, I could do that, right? There's a growth that happens. And as a pastor, that gets me really, really excited. And I think that fits really well with the book of Hebrews. The stuff that we do that makes a difference in the world is worthy It is worthy, but we keep us with us 24-7 our whole life. So what's happening in us, and how are we growing, and who are we becoming? That's a critical question. I'm not saved, made part of God's family to just kind of navigate life like I normally would with a little bit of extra Jesus on the side, supposed to transform everything about me. And there's supposed to be this ongoing, growing reality. And that's one of the reasons I love things like short-term trips because they are so profoundly shaping for us. And then that shapes everything moving forward. The writer of Hebrews is writing to people who he's, he's heartbroken that the shaping that they need hasn't really happened the way it's supposed to. And he's calling them out on it. He's saying, we're in the middle of this big discussion, super important stuff about Jesus. In fact, I'm going to come back to it. But you're not ready. You're not where you ought to be. By this point in time, you should all be teachers. Now think about that for a minute. This is to the broad audience. You should all be teachers. There's an aspect, and we talk about this as a church family. We're supposed to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Every single one of us is supposed to be a teacher. No exceptions. Not every one of us does what I do, but every one of us is to understand and engage with God and his word in such a way that not only we can grow, we intentionally, deliberately help other people grow. And he's saying, guys, you would understand this if, if you were where you needed to be, but you're not. You should be teachers by now, all of you, not just your teachers. Everyone is, should be in this place, and you're not. And that's why I'm kind of struggling with what I'm going to say. So there's a good place for us to just pause for a minute. And as, as we look at the things he's calling them out on, um, we can look at them negatively as, oh, I'm failing at this, or we can look at this as positively and say, this is the area maybe God wants me to grow in. And God may highlight something for you. Are you a teacher? Are you able to actually reproduce yourself? Are you able to communicate God's word in meaningful, significant ways? It doesn't have to be a skilled public proclamation. But can you really communicate God? Because you're supposed to. It's not optional. It's not for some. It's for all. That's something he wants for you. And in fact, it even affects your ability to handle the things that he puts in his word. That's a sign of growth. That's a sign of maturity. And he's saying to them, grow up, guys. You should be teachers and you're not. And then he adds to it, um, you are constantly needing more milk, not solid food. And whoever lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, their child. Right? Solid food is for mature people. You're like children. Am I somebody who has to have milk all the time or can I have solid food? That's a really important question. Don't get hung up on the, the, um, 
the metaphor either, by the way. People struggle with this sometimes because they're trying to read too much into Hebrews. Let the author of Hebrews use the word milk the way he intends and don't try to import Peter. Because Peter says, like newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Right? And he's talking about desire. You ever watch a newborn babe when they're about to nurse? Get out of the way, man. That is a dangerous zone to be in. Whether they're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, they're going to attack. And Peter's saying, that's the way I should desire God's word. The writer of Hebrews isn't using it that way at all. He's not using uh, milk. He's 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 not undermining what Peter's saying. He's saying, wait, milk is good. By the way, don't, don't hear him. He's not attacking milk. Milk is a good thing. He's just saying, you should have grown beyond simply milk. You should be ready to take on other things. It's not healthy for a baby to grow into an adult who has only had milk. Right? 14-year-olds don't breastfeed. They don't have a bottle. That's not supposed to be the way it is. You're supposed to have grown up and be able to handle solid food. So he's not picking on milk. He's just saying, wow, you got to grow up. You got to be able to handle more significant things than just the fundamentals, just the basics. As good as they are and as useful as they are, they're not enough. Um, He's using milk probably more like uh, Paul does in in 1 Corinthians. I'll read this to you because I think there's an interesting thing to note here. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 is, is, is calling out the Corinthians for a similar thing. And in the middle of that, he says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you weren't ready for it. And even now you're not ready. And he's, he's scolding them because they're not ready. They should have grown up, right? The Hebrews, you should be teachers. You should be off the milk and on the solid food. Paul's saying, guys, you haven't grown up. Now, the reason I find that interesting is because there's a lot of details about the audience of Hebrews we don't know. We, we infer a number of things. The audience of Corinthians, we know. We know so much. In fact, we know more in many ways about that than almost anything else. Do you know that the entire chronology of the New Testament tied to the, the calendar of the world anchors very strategically in when Paul was in Corinth? And we know when Paul was in Corinth. We know exactly when Paul was in Corinth within exactly one year. And he writes this book. We know about when that was written. Do you know when this was written? about five years later. The maturation process should be happening pretty quickly. Because Paul's after these Corinthians, five years later, they're still just in the basics. It's like, you guys need to grow up and you need to grow up faster. The writer of Hebrews is like, guys, you should be beyond this. Now, the reason I call that out is because I think we have a culture in our churches today and maybe some of us, it's very lackadaisical. It's like, okay, keep growing, but, but how many of us spend so much of our lives where we just have to keep being spoon-fed all the way through our journey? I don't know what I believe. I better ask my pastor or professor so-and-so. Well, there's always new stuff to learn, but I ought to know what I believe. Because, not because the pastor said so, but because I'm in the Word and I've grown, and I've matured. Right? That's, that's for all of us. That's what he's calling the Hebrews out on. He's saying, guys, you're, you're still stuck in just some basics, and you need me to spoon feed you. You've had plenty of time. You compare the, the time schedule with what's going on in Corinth, it's like, well, five years should be plenty of time. If I've been a believer for five years, I ought to have some real advancement that's obvious, and if not, maybe something's broken down. Now, I'm not trying to make a five-year law there. I'm just trying to make it a little more concrete so that we don't let ourselves off the hook and say, well, you know, no, I I need to be growing. That's central. This is his warning. He slowed down the whole argument, saying, before we go any further, let me just deal what's going on in your hearts, guys, because you're not where you need to be, and I need you to grow up some more. We have deeper discipleship coming up next week. You heard about that in the announcement before service, if you were here. Um, We call it deeper discipleship. It's actually not very deep. We couldn't afford the time to go as deep as we all need to be going, but that's a personal journey, and we can coach each other in that, but when we put together these classes, that's just trying to say, let's get a little bit below the surface. Let's just go a little bit deeper. One of the topics that's going to be looked at over the next three weeks is the Trinity. Can you explain the Trinity? Not 
Not perfectly, because if you can, uh, you're a heretic or you're a liar, because nobody can. I don't mean that, but do you understand that, because it's central, Jesus is God and yet he's not the Father and yet he's fully God and the Spirit is not the Son and he's not the Father and yet he's fully God and, wait, what are we saying? This is God. We ought to have a a basic understanding, at least as as much as it's possible for a finite human being in looking at an infinite being, to say I have a basic understanding and I can share that. I don't get confused, I don't get pulled off. Do you know there's actually major movements within the Christian church today that are actually ancient heresies, right? There's whole denominations, there's major public figures whom you would recognize if I named them, that are oneness, Jesus only kind of, that's a heresy. We have a triune God. And we all need to have enough understanding to say, I I don't understand everything about the Bible, but I'm well grounded and I'm ready for more. One of the resources I looked at as I was trying to prepare for this week was a sermon preached by a scholar that I particularly appreciate. And uh, it was a while back and he'd been tapped to be one of the token evangelicals on a uh, TV whatever Jesus show of some sort. And they always have to have one of us on there to round it out. And so he was just, he's pretty missional, and, and so he was talking to people on the, on the set, and it was just a production crew when he was there, but there were 30 of them. So he was going around, and he was just trying to figure out where they were in their knowledge. And uh, so he asked them, do you realize that there are two testaments in the Bible? And 29 people said, huh? He's like, okay, I know where we are. The one person said, oh yeah, I know that. That was the person that was going to interview him, and that's why she knew that because she'd been preparing for the interviews with the different scholars. In fact, she said, oh, I've been digging into the Bible for about six weeks now. I think I got a pretty good handle on it. <laughs> like, okay. I've been digging into the Bible for about 50 years now. I don't have a great handle on it. I am still learning all the time, and I work hard at it. He's not saying, guys, you have to have mastered everything. He's saying, guys, you have, re- you have to reach a certain a certain quality of understanding, a certain depth of understanding, a certain breadth of understanding so that we can keep growing. You can't stay stunted and you can't have somebody spoon feed you your whole life. That's what he's telling them. It's probably still timely today for us to say, how am I in my journey with the word of God? It gets more practical still because he goes on and he's talking about the the milk and the solid food. And then he goes on and he says, solid food's for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's not just, uh, guys, you need to have a good understanding of the word of God. It's gotta be a working understanding, a life-transforming understanding. You need to have a a grasp of the word of God that you are constantly putting into practice in the day-to-day realities of life where by practice you have grown your ability to discern things biblically, to discern the mind of Christ, to discern truth from lie. And the reason that's so important is because you know, there's some basic fundamentals that are obvious, but so much of life is nuanced. So much of life is murky. We're in a society that's soaked in subtle lies. And I need to be one who can engage the world, and I've got to engage the world, by the way. I was not called out of the world. That happens at the end. I am sent into the world. There's no such thing as a faithful Christian who's separating himself from the world. I just need to make sure the world doesn't get into me. I've got to be able to engage. And if I'm engaging, I'm at risk if I haven't really engaged with the word of God in a way that transforms my understanding and thinking and I've put that into practice so that in the gray areas, the murky areas, the difficult areas, the surprises of the moment, the unclear areas, the the places where there's all this pressure on me, I can say right, wrong, yes, no, here's what God wants. And I can do that, I can go that way. How many of us need to work a little bit more on making sure that we have not just biblical knowledge, but practical, everyday, working, biblical insight and wisdom that carries into every aspect of our lives? 
And if I need to pursue that, I'm going to find that in the Word of God and in the right voices. I need to be really careful about anything comes from a screen. And I need to be careful about what comes from my friend group, which is where we tend to get most of our insights. Screens and friend groups. Well, there's good stuff on screens and there's good friend groups, but he's warning me, or is, or is whoever's on the screen, are, are they living in the right spot and coming out of the right zone? Whoever's in my friend group, are they living in the right spot, coming out of the right zone? I tend to, I tend to look for things that confirm what I already want to hear. Right, I, I can't do that. I've got to let the Bible keep reshaping me. I've got to let the Holy Spirit use this in my life so that I can grow. And he's saying, you can learn to discern increasingly right and wrong in practical ways through this constant application to the Word of God, but you have to put in the work. And I'm concerned I can't keep my conversation about Jesus going with you because you haven't put in the work. You're not able to teach. You're not able to discern you're not able to eat the solid food. And I want that to change. And then the last thing he does is more subtle. But growing up in Jesus involves you know, being a teacher, being able to take solid food, being able to discern through practice. And it involves fundamentally cooperating with the Spirit. Let's read, the, let's read the first three verses of chapter six again. I want to unpack something first and then I want to point this out to you. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ. Now, we can read this two ways and I think we tend to read it the wrong way. Let us leave behind and abandon and move on is how we, I think we tend to read that. And it's like, why would we do that? The elementary doctrine of Christ continues to be important. I think it'd be better to understand it as let's leave in place this reality and grow from there. Right? So let's leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Right now he's talking about the elementary doctrines here. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instruction about washings, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we'll do this if God permits. We'll go beyond these things. All right, so just real quickly, one of the areas that this passage gets difficult is what is he talking about there? He, he lists six things, and four of them, okay, got it. Repentance from dead works. I need to surrender. I need to understand. I can accomplish nothing. I have no merit before God. My works don't, I don't, I don't earn my way in. I don't pray my way in. I don't work my way in. I don't get into his good. It's a grace thing. I have no hope apart from the grace of God and the work of Jesus on the Christ I just need to repent of my whole idea that somehow I can make life work. Okay, I get the repentance from dead works. That makes sense. Faith towards God. Well, that makes sense too, right? We, we all can immediately track with that and go, yeah, of course. It's about trusting God. He's the center. He's the sovereign. He's the one. Okay, I get it. I need to lean into him. I need to trust him. I need to worship him. Okay, those, those, those make sense. Then the last two, they also make sense. They, they're... Um, um, Resurrection from the dead, yeah, please, yes, pick me, and eternal judgment. Ooh, well, don't pick me for that, but I get that, I understand that, that's, okay. So we understand, we track with that, but then there's those two in the middle, and it, it throws us for a loop. So let me start by saying, A, I'm not exactly sure what he's talking about, just be honest. B, I don't think it actually matters in the end, because he's saying, let go of these fundamental things, not that you stop believing them, but grow beyond them. And that's, whatever the fundamentals are, that's what he's calling me to do. So I can understand where he's going with this, even if I don't fully get why he's saying it the way he is. Why he's saying it the way he is is because of his specific audience. And uh, I'm not them. So there's maybe a little ambiguity. What is the washings or baptisms or ablutions, depending on your translation? That's uh, unclear. I'll give you my best shot, and I could be wrong, but it seems to me he's talking to a Jewish audience, Jewish Christian audience, and there's this tension between old ways of Judaism and now being uh, genuinely a Christian from a Jewish heritage, and um, there may be, it's baptisms, maybe that's a distinction that was made for them, right? 
Baptism, Christian baptism isn't the only kind of baptism, certainly not the only kind of baptism they would have known. There were Jewish baptisms of various sorts. They would have been raised in these things, taught about these things, and then Jesus appropriates that and says, here's what it really means, here's what it's about. So perhaps he's saying, look, as you have understood the gospel, you've understood, no, there's something distinctive that is pictured in Christian baptism and is not saying the same thing as these other things. It's different, but we don't need to go back to that. You understand that. Let's not keep rehearsing that. Let's, based on that, grow. That could be what it's about. A laying on of hands is actually a little bit harder. <laughs> if we follow that same strong contrast with their past Jewish things, he's just been talking about the high priest, and the high priest in the Jewish context was anointed and had hands laid on him, and he's maybe saying, you know, there's a distinction between that priesthood and Jesus, and let's keep that in mind, but now let's grow. I'm not exactly sure what the basics are. The four of them, those are pretty easy, but the other two, I'm not sure. But at the end of the day, it, I don't think it actually matters for the sake of the argument. He's saying don't just hang in the basics, grow. But in this passage, what I really wanted to point out was the fourth principle about growing up in Jesus, and it's subtle to us, but it went obvious to them. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. The idea of going on to maturity is a passive command. It's a command to do something that I have actually no control over. I can't do it. It has to be done to me. It'd be perhaps more accurately translated for capturing the grammar, let us then be born on to maturity. Let us be carried to maturity. And that dynamic shows up a lot of places in Scripture, and it's because the entirety of my life as a follower of Jesus is a partnership, and the main reality is that the Spirit does His work in me. I can't actually make myself grow. I can't do much of anything if the Spirit's not doing it. The Spirit is the one who's going to grow me. He's the one who's going to shape me. He's the one who's going to equip me. He's the one that's going to enable me to discern. He's going to do all of these things. I just need to stop doing the things that cuts that off. I need to instead present myself, make myself available, be responsive. So he's saying, you know, your, your growth is off base because you've been shutting down the spirit. Stop it. Cooperate with him. When he convicts you, respond. When he guides you, step out. When he grows you, celebrate. Trust him, lean into him. Don't do things in the power of the flesh. There's a lot that goes into that, but at the end of the day, it's about me push, positioning myself as a willing partner for the Spirit to do what He's going to do. That's what He's saying. So He's saying, you guys need to grow up. There's these four different areas. And He culminates it with partner well with the Spirit. And then it gets harder. Because then He says, uh, watch out for apostasy. Let's read verses 4 through 8 again. It's impossible. Did you hear that word? Do not dismiss it. Don't pull the warning light out of the dashboard and say, eh. He said it. I didn't. That's what he means. It is impossible. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. They are forever lost. Do not rewrite this and do not try to manage God because you're uncomfortable. It is impossible for them to be restored to repentance since they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm, holding him up to contempt. For the land that was drunk, has drunk the rain that often falls of it 
produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated and receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless, near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. This needs to sit heavy because we want to be rescued from this passage and he's trying to press us under the weight of what he's saying. He has stopped the entire argument of the book of Hebrews. He said, time out. Before I go any further, it's time for some serious reflection. Right? You need to, you need to grow up and you need to watch out because apostasy is death. It's not kind of death. We're not talking the princess bride here. The bellows isn't going to work. It's death, death. It is impossible to be restored if this person falls away. Don't soften that. We want to understand carefully what he's actually saying. That's super important. But don't soften it just because it's uncomfortable. That's to rob it of everything it's intended for. So what's he saying? Well, I would say two things um, strike me as I've wrestled with this. First, what he's, what he's really getting at is that there's a subtle death that can come. In uh, Hebrews chapter 3, he's already tipped his hand on the question that is in everyone's mind, can you lose your salvation? The answer to that, biblically, is no. That's really clear, I think, and the author of Hebrews has already said as much, Hebrews 3.6. Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Holding fast and persevering is a direct corollary of being part of his household. They're inseparable. If I am part of his household, I will persevere. Right? Verse 14, he repeats the idea a little differently. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. This is true of us if we hold firm to the end. Right? He's, 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 he's putting those two things together. To be a child of God genuinely is to be one who has been rescued by God. God is not weak. His arm has not grown short. His wisdom is not going to fail. And he's not going to turn his back on me. So his point is not, hey, you genuinely believed and you, you, you're good and now, now you're not. Okay, he's not saying that. And in fact, he, he softens the tone a little bit in what we're going to look at next week. Though we speak in this way yet, in, our, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of, of better things, things that accompany salvation. Like we, we think you're really part of the family of God. We, we're not doubting that actually, but I still have to warn you. So what's he doing? Well, I think I understand this. There's still a lot of controversy, so I, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm much more convinced of this than I am with trying to figure out what are the washings. I don't think we just treat this as some sort of hypothetical, because I think it robs it of all its value. I'm warning you, but not really. I think there's a whole other reality that Scripture seems pretty clear of, and I think that's what his concern is. Right, when Jesus told the parable of the soils, he talked about the soil that was stony, which would be shallow with a bed of limestone, takes seed, it sprouts right away, and then it dies, and it's never actually fruitful, but receives the word with joy. Right, there's Simon Magus, who's uh, in the book of Acts, he wants to buy the right to lay hands on people and give them the Holy Spirit. Prior to that, it says he believed and was baptized. And then Peter says to him, may your money perish with you, which literally, we just don't translate it this way because it sounds coarse, but it's like literally to hell with you and your money. He's not being profane. He's actually saying your money is going to follow you straight into hell. Right? Something's broken there. What happened? Um, There's a verse in 1 John that's really important where he says, they went out from us because they were not of us. And the way we know, know they were not of us is because they, they went out from us. There's um, the exhortation by Paul in Corinthians, examine yourselves, prove, prove yourself. Understand who you really are. Um, there are people who will be with Jesus 
stand before him on the last day, say, look at the things we did. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. So here's what I think is going on. Here's what I think is going on. They're like any other church. There are people that are all over the map in their spiritual journey. Some of whom are on a journey. They've begun to experience good things from God. Right? I mean, that, those, those words are pretty clear and they're pretty strong, but they don't require a genuine, regenerate experience. I think anyone who's really actively engaged with the community of God and seeing God work in powerful ways could, could affirm all of these things. Yes, I have been enlightened. I have tasted the heavenly gift. I have shared in the benefits of the Holy Spirit. I've, I've tasted the goodness of the Word of God, the powers of the age to come. They're not yet fully mine, but I'm I'm experiencing these things and I'm, I'm engaging with God and I'm open to what he's doing and he's drawing me. And um, now the pressure's come. The people in, in uh, well, the people he's writing to, persecution's coming. Now it's getting hard. And he's warning, he's saying, make sure Make sure that you've actually fully embraced Christ. Don't dabble around the edges. Don't have this temporary season of renewal and spiritual energy. Because if you walk away from that, you're not coming back. And if you walk away from that, you can't come back. I think what happens in that moment is what Jesus talks about when he talks about the unpardonable sin. I've now hardened myself to what the Holy Spirit's doing. I've experienced, I've seen, I've been drawn. It was right there. I understood, but I had not yet responded fully. And then I choose to say, nope. Right? It's not a casual thing. It's not, I don't drift into this. I drift to the place that I can do this, though. I think that's what he's warning them about. It's like, you guys, be attentive. Don't let your guard down. Make sure, make sure that if God's at work in your life, you're actually responding. Let him be your Lord. Let him be your Savior. I think that's who he's addressing. I think we actually see that same type of audience addressed through many of the epistles in the New Testament because they're mixed groups. And these aren't bad people. He's not saying, you worms, get out of here. He's saying, you guys, you're on a journey. Complete the journey. Don't walk away from it. You, you see this that Jesus offers. Why would you turn your back on that? If you turn your back on that, that's it. You have hardened yourself, right? For you to experience all of that and then turn away and say, nope. There's stuff that's gone on inside of you you won't recover from. And he's actually writing it more from God's perspective and he's not coming after you. I think that's what he's saying there. And I think he's giving it as a strong warning because he's saying, guys, make sure, right? These are people that aren't mature in the faith. They aren't ready to teach. They aren't able to accept the the solid food from God. So discern. Start with your own heart. Are you actually a child of God? Don't, Don't play games with that. Surrender and trust. Because it's, it's yours to receive, but you, you can't walk away from it. Because if you do, there's really no hope. You've crucified Christ again. <laughs> the theologian I listened to his sermon, he told a joke that is popular with Calvinists and not very popular with Arminians, but it gets to the point. Calvinist tell of Arminians, right? So if you're familiar, and if not, I'm sorry. I don't have time to unpack it all. But, you know, Calvinism, the, the, the doctrines of Calvinism are defined by five letters that make the word tulip, right? So each, each view has its flower. So with the Calvinists, it's tulip. And with the Arminians, it's daisy. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not, right? And so all the Calvinists in the room are laughing like crazy. But then he stops and he says, but that's not the way it works in this passage. He loves me. He loves me not. End of story. Sometimes when we take things lightly, 
And wherever you are on Calvinism, Arminianism, that's, that's a different topic, and we can talk about that sometime. That's not really my point. The point is, whatever it is to be in the place he's talking about, you walk away from that, you're not coming back. That is the same thing, essentially, as the unpardonable sin. And there's nothing that's unpardonable other than hardening myself to Christ so that I won't listen, other than hardening myself against the Holy Spirit and dismissing what he's doing to the point that I'm just done and he's done too. He's cautioning them. You're on a journey, guys. It's getting tough. Make sure. Make sure that you've actually entrusted yourself to Christ. It was interesting in the many different places we went in Cambodia. One of the places we went, we shared the gospel, and the people in that little area all claimed to be Christians, which was interesting. It's like, wow, there's not a lot of Christians here, but you are. Yeah, yeah, we're Christians. And then our translator, because we couldn't talk, obviously, Khmer, uh, started probing them. It's like, well, no, not really. Uh, they've heard about Jesus, and he seems like that'd be pretty cool. So they, this guy's actually their pastor. He doesn't know anything either, but they've got a pastor and a bunch of other Christians who don't know Jesus. Um, but they were really open because we do know Jesus, and we're saying, hey, look, here's who Jesus really is. And they were totally interested, right? Partway through, one of the guys interrupted and said, oh, Jesus is God. I never knew that. And then later, when it became an opportunity to, to actually respond, he said, Jesus is, is my God. And his pastor accepted Christ too. And then he started coming to the pastoral training, right? Now, it's not so crude as that. In most circumstances, it's more subtle than that, but that's a pretty obvious, oh, they were on a journey, but they weren't there yet. And, and when you're on that journey, if you turn away, that's really dangerous. Embrace. So I just want to encourage you. I don't know where you are in your journey. If you're here and you're exploring, oh, we're so glad you're here. We're so glad you're exploring. We'd love to talk more, but it is serious. If God's working in your life and you ultimately harden yourself to him, that's it. There's no hope. But if you're worried about that, you haven't hardened yourself. That's another issue that comes up. People, oh, the, the unpardonable sin, and have I committed it? If you're asking the question, you haven't. You just haven't. If you're worried about it, you haven't. If you're struggling, you haven't. This is a picture of somebody who's hardened themselves. They just don't care anymore. And he's, he's cautioning them not to get there. And then he goes on. He says, actually, I don't believe those things of you, but I needed you to think about that because I need you to be aware. So this morning, that's where we are. We need to think about that. We need to be aware. Not take lightly what God's done. He's so gracious and so kind and so loving. We want to embrace that fully. And we want to grow. And we want to help each other do that. So I, I don't know what God may be saying to you, but my encouragement is don't, don't pull the plug. Don't pull the light out of the dashboard. If he's, if he's poking, let him poke. Listen to what he's saying. Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace in our lives, and I pray that you would help us. We need grace every day just to keep growing and learning and walking in step with your spirit, Lord. Uh, we don't want to be weighed down. We want to walk in the lightness of relationship with you. But we also don't want to be naive or just ignoring your holiness, making light of sin. We don't want to be naive about what, what you've actually done in our heart and where we might be holding out. Lord, I just pray that you would work in our hearts, draw us to yourself and shape us for the sake of your name. And Lord, as, as we give this offering, I just pray that you would use these gifts to impact people in this world with the good news of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.